How many of you are glad to be in God's house today? And everyone who's joining us online, we just want to say welcome. Thanks for joining with us as well. We wish you were here, but we understand that this is an interesting season of life in life. But man, it's so good to be in God's house. Amen. Of all the places you could be today, you get to be here worshiping with the people of God. I hope you know that you are very privileged. You are privileged to be able to come and to worship God. It is a blessing it is a privilege, and I want to thank you for being here today. God is good. Amen. God is good all the time. Amen. So my family and I are, are glad to be back in San Antonio, and we went on a little road trip. We loaded up the, the kids and the minivan, and we drove up to Montana, visited some family up there. We ended up stopping in eight states along the way, and it's easy to do once you finally get outside of Texas, you can start to see other states. It takes you a whole day to get out of Texas, and then you can pass through eight states very quickly, because Texas is the greatest country in the world, amen? <laughs> um, we, we drove 4,000 miles over the last two weeks, and we just had a really wonderful time uh, together, and I'm happy to report there's still a world out there. It's still there. It still exists. And uh, it's beautiful, America the beautiful. It's just incredible to see God's beautiful country. And uh, we really enjoyed it. So um, how, how, how did it go here last week? Didn't Pastor Doug do a great job? Amen. I think he did a fantastic job. And then the week before, you met my new friend, or new to you, old to me, Pastor Stephen. Didn't he do a great job too? I, I really enjoyed that. I got to watch it online. Now, today we're going to be in Acts chapter 14 and what I realized as I started to get ready, and you can open your Bibles there if you have your Bibles today, Acts chapter 14, what I realized was that as I was getting ready for this week, that I, I made a mistake in handing out the scriptures to Pastor Stephen and Pastor Doug, and I, left, I accidentally left out Acts 14, 19 to 23. If you were here last week, you remember Doug saying, man, this is a really short passage I feel like there should be more here. Well, there should have been more there. I accidentally gave, I, I left these out. And as I was going through this this week, I said, oh man, I left these out. And I thought, well, I'll just go on to Acts chapter 15. We finished Acts chapter 14. But as I got into it, I said, no, there's a message in here that God's put on my heart. And so I want to share it with you. So we're going back in time today. All right. Do you ever wish you could go back in time? Well, today your wishes are granted because we're, we're going back in time in the book of Acts. Last week, what we saw is that Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey, that they completed it. And it was a multi-year missionary journey where they traveled from town to town to town, preaching the gospel and establishing churches. And last week, we saw how they returned to their home base, their home church, the city of Antioch. And then they reported this wonderful testimony of all that God had done. Now, we're backing up from that a couple of steps uh, to, to see a, a portion of the missionary journey uh, that we skipped because I'm not perfect and I made a mistake. So, Acts chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 19 today. It's, so, this is, they're back on the missionary journey. They're, they're going from town to town. They're preaching the gospel and it says that Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Now, this was not the Antioch that they had been sent out of. Remember, there's three different cities 
at the time that this is happening that are named Antioch. And this was one of the Antiochs where Paul and Barnabas had preached the gospel on their missionary journey. They had planted a church, but they had been run out of town because there were people that were very upset that they were preaching this message that Jesus was the Messiah. And how many of you know that Jesus is the Savior? Amen. And so they were upset about that. And how many of you also know that not everybody loves Jesus? <laughs> Have you figured that out yet? There's some people who love him and some people who don't. And that these people who rejected the, the message of Jesus, the Savior, they are now following Paul and Barnabas from town to town to stir up trouble. So it says that Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it has such a great privilege to have and to receive your word. Lord, that you have spoken. You have spoken to us. Your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, so many souls have lived and died in darkness, never once hearing a word from you. Yet we live with so many blessings in our life, so much access to your word. It is a great blessing to us. Lord, as we spend time in your word, I pray that it would have its effect in our life. Lord, that your word would not return void, but that it would accomplish something good in us, that they would be seeds of your word that would go down deep into our soul, that would produce fruit in our lives, that would bring honor and glory to your name, the name of Jesus, the name above every name. And that you would help us in this time, this season, this year that we are in to do that, to live faithfully for you, to bring honor and glory to your name. Help us, God. We need your help. Holy Spirit, you're the helper. Lord, we look to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've got three ideas from this passage that I want to share with you. And the first one is that man's plans cannot thwart God's purposes. Man's plans cannot thwart God's purposes. What we see here in this passage is that there's some people that are upset with Paul. They're upset with Barnabas. They're upset with the message that's being preached. They, they, they do not like the gospel. They are enemies of Christ. They are enemies of God. They are enemies of the church. They're enemies of the cross. And so their, their plan is to take Paul out, and we will silence the messenger. We will kill him. And so they stone him. They, they, they come up with this plan to hurl rocks at, at Paul until he is dead. Now, we don't know if they actually kill him or not. It, it doesn't say. It, it's not clear. But it tells us very clearly that they think he's dead. So they did a good enough job stoning him that they at least thought they had killed him. And then they drag him out of the city 
and leave him for dead. Whether he is dead or he's only almost dead, if you've ever seen the Princess Bride movie, uh, it's kind of, maybe it's like that. I don't, I shouldn't reference that and just forget that. I, I forget that. But anyway, if, if he's only dead or mostly dead or, or halfway dead, I, we don't know, but he's not doing well. Can we all admit to that? This is not Paul's best day. They think he's dead. That's dead enough for me. The disciples surround him and he gets up, he arises, it says, and he goes back into the city. So this is a miracle that happens. This is a miracle. The fact that he was either dead or almost dead and he gets up and he's perfectly fine and he goes back into the city. A miracle. And the issue is God's purpose for Paul is not completed yet. God has more for Paul to do with his life. Even though man's plans for Paul is to kill him, and they're under the power and the authority of Satan, they're under the influence of the devil, trying to to stop God's purpose, but they can't. They can't. Man's plans cannot thwart God's purposes. Period. Done. Finished. God is in control. God is in control. He's in control of the events of this story. He's in control of the events of your story, your life. He's in control of the events of his story, which is really God's his story. This is good news for us, that God is in control. Is there anything big happening this year that we might worry about whether or not God is in control? Hmm, I, I, something happening in November. L- listen, w- we don't have to worry about who's going to be elected in November. Why? Because God is in control. God is going to put in the Oval Office whoever he wants to be there. Period. The Bible says that God raises up leaders and brings them down. Period. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to lay in bed awake at night. Oh no, I hope he doesn't win. Oh, what's he going to do to my country? Listen, he's not going to, whoever wins is not going to do anything to your country. Because you know what your country is? It's the kingdom of God. The Bible says that Abraham was looking for a city, a country, a place whose builder and maker is God. That, that's, the, that's the kingdom we're a part of. And the, it doesn't matter who is in the Oval Office. He can't do anything against the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is run by the resurrected, victorious King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the God of the universe. And he rules and reigns over every kingdom. Period. Man's plans cannot thwart God's purposes. So I can lay my head down at the pillow at night, and I can know that God's purpose is going to be accomplished. Period. Satan wants to take Paul out. God doesn't want that to happen, and so Paul is alive because God's purpose is what will stand. Many times we see in Jesus' life that people tried to kill him over and over and over again. They tried to stone him. They tried to push him over a cliff, but it says that they could not do it because his hour had not yet come. That there was an appointed time when Jesus would die, and he would die on the cross at the hands of sinful men. And that that crucifixion would purchase for God's people salvation. 
But until that time came, nobody could touch him. Nobody could touch him. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter uh, 9, verse 27, that there is an appointed time for each of us to die. All of us are going to die one day. Unless Jesus comes back, which he, right, he could, any time the Lord could return. That'd be great, wouldn't it? I'm ready. I hope you're ready. But if he doesn't, if he tarries, and his track record is that he's a pretty good terrier, right? Like, it, it could be a few more years. We could all taste death. There's an appointed time for each one of us to die. What does that mean? It means God knows when our day is already. He already knows. It's not going to be a surprise to him. He knows the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He sees everything. He knows the day you will die. He knows what will cause your death. Whether it will be old age or get run over by a bus or cancer or COVID. God knows. It's not a surprise to him. Period. He is sovereign. His purpose will stand. There's an appointed time. But until that time, until that day comes, we are kept by the power of God. Psalm 139.16 says that when I was in my mother's womb, you saw me. And that in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. It means God saw every single one of your days before you were even born. Before you even made your grand entrance into the world, God saw the day of your death. He knew what it would be. He knew what would cause it. We don't know. That produces a little bit of anxiety in our lives, a little bit of fear, possibly. My kids, my, my five-year-old right now wants to talk about this. He say things like, Dad, are we going to die today? Well, I hope not. I hope not. I pray not. Well, when are we going to die? I, I don't know, son. God knows. God knows. We don't know. My kids talk about these things because their grandparents died young. And we talk about that. You know, I talk about how I miss my mom and I miss my dad. And my kids didn't know my dad. Three of them were born after he passed away, but they knew my mom. And so it was a shock to them when at 59, she passed on to be with the Lord. Now to us, from our perspective, it seems as though at times certain people's lives are cut short. Do I wish my parents were still alive today? Absolutely. I miss them terribly. But God saw that day before they were ever born. He, he knew how they would go into glory. It wasn't a surprise to him. He, he didn't have to say, oh, no, oh, what happened? Oh, I better hurry up and finish the place I was preparing for them. And Gabriel, slap another coat of paint on Dave Bell's mansion real quick. No, that, that's not how it works. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I, may, where I am, you may be also, and that I will come and bring you to myself. And so whether Jesus comes and takes all of us together in the rapture of the church, which could be at any moment, or whether he comes and taps us on the shoulder individually and says, it's time for you to go into glory. There's a place prepared for us. And the moment we take our last breath in this life is the moment we take our first breath in the next life. 
And let me tell you, that will be the best day of your life. That will, there, there will be no greater day that you've ever lived in this life than the first day of that life. Let me tell you. And so this is why the Apostle Paul can write, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? That even the fear of death for the believer has been completely removed because the best day of my life will be the day that I transfer into glory. That will be the best day. And that will be your best day as well. And that is our hope. That is what we look forward to, to being with the Lord forever. Now, there are times where we're, we feel like things didn't go the way we wanted them to go, but that's our perspective. That's not God's perspective. God is sovereign, even over death. And this, for Christians, should be a great comfort to our souls. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in fear. God knows. He is in control. And his plan and his purpose will stand period. Now, there comes a point in time where Paul had fulfilled his purpose. He writes in 2 Timothy, I have finished my race. I have run the course. I have done everything that God had for me to do. There's now laid up for me a crown of righteousness in glory. And we know that Paul, after he finished his race, that he was martyred for his faith. He was, he was killed. He was executed under Nero, under Roman rule. But let me tell you, that wasn't that God had failed Paul, it's that God's purpose for him was completed and accomplished. And the promise of God to you as one of his saints is that his purpose for you will also be accomplished and that no weapon formed against you will prosper. And this is good and this is glorious news for us that God is in control. Let me tell you, it's better that God's in control than that you would be in control. It's better that God's in control than some other outside force would be in control. Why? Because God is always good. And everything he always does is always perfect all the time, completely, totally. Now, just because the days of my life and God has seen them from before I was ever born and and he sees the things that I will do, he knows the thoughts that I think, he knows the words I will speak, he knows the actions I will take. Does that mean that it doesn't matter how I live my life? No, no. Do the things that I do, do they matter? Yes, they do. Do the thoughts that I think, do they matter? Yes, they do. The words that I speak, the actions that I take, do they matter? Yes, they do. The Bible says we will all stand before God and give an account to him for our lives. Well, how can it be if God already knows what I'm going to do? How can he hold me responsible and accountable? And the answer is, I I don't necessarily know that. How, How does God's sovereignty mesh with man's responsibility I don't know. It's a problem for me. It's a problem for my three-pound fallen brain to understand. It's beyond my comprehension, but it's not beyond God's comprehension. Just because I have a difficulty with it, just because I have an issue, just because I can't understand it, it's not a problem for God. But we can know that our actions matter, and we can know that whatever comes my way in this life, that God is 100% in control. Period. And that's good and that's glorious and that is wonderful news. Now, as Paul and Barnabas dust themselves off from this experience, before they return to Antioch and uh, share the testimony of everything that God did, before they go back, what they must do is 
they must now travel back to every city where there were believers in Christ. And what they do is they go back and they encourage these believers. So as they, as they travel back to Antioch, they, they don't make a big circle. Instead, they go this way and then they go back that way. And they stop at each city, and it tells us that they go back to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. And in verse 22, it tells us what they did as they went on this journey. That they strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. They, they strengthened their souls. They encouraged the believers. How many of you like it when someone encourages you? When, when someone strengthens your soul, when, when, when you might be a little bit shaky, when, when you might need some, some encouragement and someone can come alongside of you and just say, you know, encourage you, really build you up, really share God's word with you. And that's here what Paul and Barnabas are doing. And, and look at the message here that they encourage them with, that they strengthen their souls with. What is this message that they preach to them? It says in verse 22, saying to them, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Wow, what an encouraging message. What a, what a just, wow, that just strengthens me and, and builds me up. That's what encouragement means, building up. Does that encourage you? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You don't go into the Christian bookstore and see that slapped on the coffee mug. I just thank God for the many tribulations I'm going to experience today as I drink my coffee this morning. How would this be an encouragement to them? How would this be a strength to their souls? How would this build them up as they go and say it's through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God? Let me tell you why. It's because these believers in these towns, guess what they were in the middle of? Tribulation. Guess what they were experiencing? Hardship, difficulty, suffering. Remember how Paul left each one of these towns in a riot as people were trying to kill him? Well, do you think when Paul leaves, everybody just chills out? Or do you think they turn the attention then on the churches and the believers? Well, yeah, of course that's what they do. These believers are going through tribulation. They're going through trials. They're going through tests. They're going through hardship. They're going through difficulties. And Paul comes alongside of them and he comes to them and he says, hey guys, this doesn't mean that God has failed you. It's through many tribulations that we must enter into the kingdom of God. And let me tell you, this message that was true for them is also the same message that's true for us. This should not be a surprise to us that we will experience hardship, difficulty, suffering, pain, tribulation, trials in this life. It should not be a surprise. When we experience those things in our lives, we shouldn't immediately default to what has gone wrong. Well, actually, the Bible tells us what has gone wrong. It happened in Genesis chapter 3. Sin entered into the world. We live in a fallen and broken world. The world is not the way that it was designed and created to be. There is coming a day when the king of kings will set foot back on this planet and turn it into the place it was designed to be. Until that day. We live in this world that is 
broken. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. This is the clear teaching of Scripture. I could point to you verse after verse after verse after verse. And guess what? I will do that for you this morning. This is the teaching of the Lord Jesus, John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, hardship, difficulty, pain, suffering. The words of Jesus, our Lord. But he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Where do we find peace in this broken world? Do we find it in the world? Do we find it in the world's value system? Do we find it in the systems and the, the, the values and, 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 and the, 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 the materialism and, and the, the message that our world preaches? Is that where we find peace? If you're trying to find peace in that way, that place, guess what? You're not going to find it. In me, Jesus says, you will have peace. It's the only place. As, as we live in this broken world, and 2020 helps us to see just how broken the world is. It's not more broken than it normally is. It's just showing itself a little bit more clearly. It's always been this broken. It's just manifesting a little bit more clearly for us to see. And what happens, what's actually happening is just aligning more with Scripture. We're not going to have peace in this world. What do we have in this world? Tribulation. But in Christ, in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the difficulty, we can have peace, which is better than happiness, let me tell you, which is better than just having things nice and going your way, which is better than just having a whopper your way, having peace with God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. Jesus says so clearly, in the world you will have tribulation. I'm telling you this now so that when you go through it, that you can have peace. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What does that mean? It means that the tribulation that we face in the world, that it will not be victorious over us. That the, the, the pain, the hardship, the, the difficulty, the suffering, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. That whatever the enemy tries to do in our lives, that God means it for our good, period, done, finished. Jesus has overcome the world. Paul in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be uh, persecuted. How many of you love that? How many of you love God? How many of you desire to live a godly life? Amen. Guess what's coming your way? Should not be a surprise. Should not take us off guard. In fact, we should be anticipating it and expecting it. And in fact, if there's no opposition in our lives at all, that's a bad sign. That's a sign you're doing nothing. If you're on the easy road, if life is easy for you, no conflict, no strife, no tribulation, no pain, no, nothing applying pressure in your life that 
through that, God is working in you. If, if, if there's none of that in your life, I have bad news for you. You might be on the broad road. Jesus says the way to destruction is easy. It's, that road is wide. To follow Christ, that, that road is narrow and it is hard. This is the teachings of Jesus. It's so funny that, that, that when I share this with you, it's like, really, is, is that right? Is, is that true? It, it's 100% true. It couldn't be more true. Romans 8, 17 and 18 Paul says we're God's children, and since we're his children, we're his heirs, and we're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The inheritance that Christ purchased on the cross belongs to us because we are now God's children. That's awesome. Amen? Provided we suffer with him. Oh, no. Ah. In order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So what do we have in the present time? Suffering. What's coming in the future when Christ returns? Glory. So much glory that it's not even worth comparing to the suffering we experience now. Like they're not even worth mentioning in the same sentence. The Bible says, I has not heard. No, wait, that doesn't work. No ear has heard and no eye has seen the plans that God has for us. Where? In glory. What do we have in the world? What do we have in this life? What is it going on here right now? There will be suffering in this life. There will be tribulations. There will be hardship. But let me show you something. Our second point today is the one I've been preaching. God's purpose is include our tribulations. These aren't a surprise to God. Remember, the purposes of God cannot be thwarted. Man's plans can't thwart God's purposes. James says, count it all joy when you experience various trials of various kinds. How, how, can, how can my suffering in this life be a part of God's purpose because God is good and so his purpose must be good but my suffering and my hardship and my difficulty and the strife that I'm in with this and, and all of the pain and all of the turmoil and all of the tribulation how can that be good let me tell you how it can be good because God is committed to you and what he's committed to producing in you is holiness God is committed to making you holy. And you know what does not produce holiness in a believer's life? Comfort, ease, relaxation. It, it just doesn't. Material wealth doesn't produce holiness in people's lives. In fact, Jesus says it's, it's nearly impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That riches are not a, in many cases, riches are not a blessing, but they end up being an obstacle to people coming to faith in Christ. Now, are, is wealth and, and money, is it evil in and of itself? Well, no, it's just a tool. But if that is your God, it will be evil in your life, no doubt about it. If that is the aim of your life to a, a, 
accumulate wealth and material possessions and, and to just live a life of ease and a life of comfort. It's not going to produce holiness in your life. It might produce ease, it might produce comfort, but it won't get you ready for the day that Christ returns. What will produce holiness in your life? Well, we'll be glorified with Christ, provided that we suffer with Christ. It's, it's when we go through the hard times in life that the character of Christ comes through. It's when we go through the difficulties, when we go through the pain, the hardship, the anguish, the, the, when the fire is turned up, sometimes things come to the surface, hidden sin, attitudes, uh, 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 proclivities of the heart come to the surface. We, we, when, when things go bad, we find out who we're trusting in. Are we trusting truly in God or do we turn to something or someone else in our time of need? That's idolatry. All of this we go through in this life, it produces the character of Christ. As God turns up the heat, the impurities come out, the Holy Spirit convicts us. We, we through His power, we, we repent of sin and we move forward being progressively made righteous and holy in God's sight. That is what God is after in our lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. That you would be made holy, righteous. Now positionally, I am righteous. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Positionally, I have been declared righteous. That's, that's as far as God sees me and my standing before God, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's my spirit, alive in Christ. My soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, the things I think, the things I want to do, the actions that I take, the words that I speak. <laughs> I've got a long way to go before my soul is righteous. So I am saved, my spirit. I am being saved right now in my soul. And one day in glory, I will be saved in my body. And this is the work of salvation, complete and total. Body, soul, and spirit. Spirit done, finished, complete. Soul, God's still working on that. Until the day he takes us into glory, he's going to be working on that. Preparing us for that day where we will receive a new body and be completely and totally saved, body, soul, and spirit. This is the will of God for you, holiness, holiness. And for the believer, tribulations are a purifying fire in our lives. God allows us to pass through the fire to purify us. Now, the promise is that the fire will not take us out, but it will heat things up. It, will, it won't be easy. It's not going to be easy. I mean, we know it wasn't easy for those three Hebrew boys to be thrown into that fiery furnace. It wasn't easy. God protected them. God saw them through it. And through that process, they were made more like Christ. 
And likewise, you and I will go through fiery trials and tests in life. And when we go through them, God is making us holy. He is purifying us. Now, if you're like me, when you go through the fire, what do you pray for? I pray for God to turn the fire down. I pray for the fire to go out. I rebuke the fire in the name of Jesus. I I do whatever I got to do. God, could you please turn the fire down? It's getting kind of hot in here. Did you know the Apostle Paul prayed the same thing? He prayed the same thing. He had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is, but it really interrupted him and was painful in his life. Three times he pleaded with God, pleaded with God. For God to remove this obstacle, this pain, this tribulation, this trial. We don't know what it was, but it was painful for him. But what did God tell Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. I will not remove this from your life. I'm not going to take something from you, but I'm going to put something on you. The power of my spirit. I'm going to give you the power of my spirit because my power is made perfect in weakness. And when you are weak, then you will finally be strengthened in the power of the Spirit. Listen, we got to know we can't go through life in our own power, in our own strength. It's only through the strength and the power of God. Now, I know this is not a popular message today. I know that the popular message that comes across the majority of the pulpits in America is actually the total opposite of this. The teaching of our day, the so-called Christian teaching, is that God's desire for you is to be happy. That God's desire for you is to be wealthy. And that if you're not happy and if you're not wealthy and if you're not healthy enough, that what you need to do is you need to use more faith to get more of God's happiness and wealth and blessing in your life. That's the pervasive Christian teaching today. If you go into a Christian bookstore, that's what they're all selling. It's such a popular message and it's totally false. God's desire for you is not to be happy. God's desire for you is something even better than that, is that you would be filled with the joy and the peace and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of the test, even in the midst of the trial, even in the midst of the hardship, even in the midst of the difficulty, and that his power would be put on display in your life. Listen, having wealth and perfect health, that doesn't display the power of God. That doesn't display the power of God. The kingdoms of this world have health and wealth. Give me a break. Do you think that displays the power of God? Absolutely not. But when a believer under all of the fire of the enemy can maintain faithfulness and love towards God and endure and press on and say, I forsake all for Christ, that displays the power of God. The power of God is not displayed by the label that's on my car. Give me a break. You think God cares about that? Does God care what's going on in here? Yes, he does. And there are people who profane the name of Christ by teaching this false gospel. You can call it whatever you want. Prosperity gospel, health and wealth gospel, word of faith gospel, name and claim it gospel. It's all teaching the same thing. It teaches you can have what you want in your flesh. It says, what does your flesh want? You can have it. You don't even need to be a Christian. Just name it and claim it. It's false. It's not true. In fact, God has called us out from the world. Come out from the world and be you separate. 
when we call, are called out from the world, we don't maintain the same value systems of the world. We don't still pursue material wealth and material possessions as if that was some sort of end to anything, as if that would make us happy, as if that would give me joy and peace and comfort in my life. No, in the world I will have tribulation. It's in Christ that I have peace. And if God has to put me through the fire to teach me that, thank you, God, that he loves me so much that he would separate me from the temporary fading away broken things of this world and that he would uproot the love of that in my life so that the character of Christ and my love for God could grow more and more and more and more. This is how much God loves you that he would not allow his people to be led astray into the false idolatry of materialism. I should get back to my notes. This message is not true that God's desire for you is to just be happy and wealthy. It's not true. It's not true. It's not true. Is wealth evil? No, it's a tool. It's a tool. Money is a tool. And with all tools, what are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be good stewards. We're supposed to be stewards. We're supposed to use what we have to seek first what? Health and wealth? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things, God can add them to you at any point, at any time he wants. But he is committed to producing in you the character of his son, Jesus Christ. And whatever he has to do to do that, he will do because he loves you. He loves you. This teaching is not true. This teaching does not work. It cannot work because it is not true. Why is it so popular? Well, it shouldn't be hard to figure out. People want to be healthy. People want to be happy, rich, healthy, and wealthy. And if you show up saying, this is how you get it, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get a bunch of people following you. Just because it's popular doesn't mean it's true. Jesus says that on the day of judgment, he says, many will stand before me and will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Didn't we do all of these things for you and in your name? Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. He doesn't say some on that day. He doesn't say a handful on that day. He doesn't say, you know, one, two, or three. He says many on that day. The problem is that there are so many people in so-called churches across America today that they're not pursuing God. They're pursuing the the wicked desires of their own heart in the name of God. And they're going to stand before God on that day and they're going to say, God, I went to church. God, I I did all these things every Sunday. God's going to say, I don't know who you are. I don't know you. You're not one of mine. Many on that day. What are you pursuing? Do you love God? Have you been called according to his purpose? Are you pursuing him or are you pursuing other things in the name of God because you think you can get them from him? That is idolatry. It must be repented of. Now, is God a God of blessing? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Is it God's desire to bless you? Yes, it is. In fact, he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But guess who gets to define what the word blessing means? God, not you. 
And the blessing in your life, again, is that God will produce his nature and character and holiness in you, and that is the ultimate good. And for the true believer, for the true believer, for those who have truly been born again and filled with the Spirit of God, we, know, we want nothing more than that. Nothing more for our lives to mean something for God and for his kingdom and to bring him glory. That's what we want. That's the ache of our heart. That's the desire that, God, that you would be glorified in me, and that you would set me free from every entanglement of the world in my heart. Because it's all fading away. It's all passing away. It's not eternal, but God is producing in you something eternal, something that will last. And that truly displays the power of God. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. I'm going to ask us to stand. I did have a third point today. The first service got the third point. And while the worship team comes, I'll give it to you really quickly. I want to highlight for you God's leadership structure. What Paul and Barnabas do, they go and they encourage the believers in each church, but they also establish leadership there. They raise up elders in the local church, each one of the local churches. The primary role of an elder, a pastor, an overseer, a shepherd, the New Testament uses those words interchangeably. The primary role of a pastor, the primary role of an elder is to minister the word of God to the people of God. Because it's through the word of God and God's spirit working through his word that holiness is produced in our life. It's it's through truth and God working with his spirit, with truth, that produces this in our lives as we go through the test and the trial and the pain and the suffering and all, whatever we got to go through. And so Paul comes back through and in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'm not going to read it today, but you can read it later. It lays out the qualifications for what these elders or leaders, overseers, pastors. But the truth is, if, if there's not godly leadership established within, within a church, the word of God will not be faithfully taught. The word of God will not be faithfully preached. And the people will not move on into maturity. The people will not grow. The people will not flourish. The people will not be who God called them and created them to be. And so Paul and Barnabas, they, they, they stop at each one of the places where people had believed God and their mission is not over until leadership is established in the churches. And so that's what they do. They, they raise up some godly men who can teach and preach the word of God and who can care for the souls of the believers. This is, again, the primary function of, of elders is, is to minister God's word and to, to make sure that the body is, is growing in righteousness and growing in holiness. And it's what we endeavor to do as the elders of this church. We, we ever endeavor to teach and preach the word of God every Sunday to provide a place where we can come and that we can worship God, and that we can receive God's word. And by the grace of God, he helps us in our weakness. None of us is perfect. We're all imperfect men. 
But God's word is perfect. And God's word is true. And as it is ministered even through imperfect men, it produces something special. God's work of sanctification in our hearts and in our lives. And so I, I know today's message is not a popular message, but it's the truth. And as an elder and a pastor, yeah. We, the elders of this church are committed to the truth. Though it may be uncomfortable, though it may at times be unpopular, it is the truth that will produce fruit in our lives. You coming here and having your ears tickled, it won't do anything for you. It won't do nothing for you. It's not worth the air that's used to expel it. But the truth of God, oh, it will produce fruit in your lives. And so I want you to know that myself and the elders of this church, we are committed to you. We are committed to your families. We're committed to encourage you and to strengthen you with the word of God and to see God's fruit produced in your life and to see holiness in this body. That's what we're pursuing. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a treasure to us. It is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Lord, it's by your word that the worlds were created as you spoke them into existence. It's by your word that you have called us into your family called us out of darkness and into your light. You, you called us by name. You've called us by grace. It's undeserved. But we receive it in faith and we thank you with gracious hearts. Lord, our desire as your people is to live for you, to live a life of holiness, to live a life of righteousness, that you would produce in us good fruit, the character of Christ, that you would help us to be faithful witnesses to you in this time, in this season, and in this world. Lord, we thank you that you are in control. This is the truth, that you are sovereign. 2020 is not a surprise to you. What's going to happen next week? What's going to happen next month? What's going to happen at the end of the year? Not a surprise to you. We rest in your sovereignty and we take joy in your goodness. And we ask that your holiness would be produced in our lives as we pass through the fire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.